Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. How many times have you heard people say, oh, Bitcoin is only for savings and it can't be used for payments and very few people are even using it for payments and yeah, Lightning exists, but there's not that many people using it. Well, I think that's not really true. Bitcoin Beach is one example. This is a citadel by the sea in El Zonte, El Salvador. And so Michael Peterson and Nicholas Bertie join me to talk about their project, showing how a whole town could go Bitcoin and Lightning native. Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin holds a deep conviction that Bitcoin is the future of money. Swan's aim is to help you maximize your position in this dominant digital monetary network. As a Swan private client, you will have unlimited access to their team, strategic resources, and commitment to Bitcoin education. Bitcoin is an asymmetric investment of unparalleled proportions, rapidly becoming the preeminent wealth preservation asset for every individual and institution in the world. An opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy-impacting wealth for your family or company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. The Swan private team stands ready to earn the right to walk alongside you on every step of this journey into the future of money. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash private, swanbitcoin.com slash private, or email Corey, the CEO, directly at Corey at swanbitcoin.com. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow crypto globally and anonymously. Lend at HodlHodl is a way for you to earn extra income on your stablecoins like USDT or others, and the average APR there is 25%. Also, if you have Bitcoin and you need some liquidity, Lend allows you to borrow against your Bitcoin. And the best thing is you still hold one key in the two of three multi-sig. Hoddle Hoddle does not hold your funds. Lend at Hoddle Hoddle allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between users. With Hoddle Hoddle's Lend platform, you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Do you want to get started with Bitcoin mining? Compass is an online marketplace making it easier for you to do this. Compass helps you buy your own ASIC and select hosting at great facilities around the world. For years, we've heard mining was only profitable if you're investing tons of money, but now Compass is making it easier for everybody to tap into those economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you are unsure about how to get started, Compass offers hardware and hosting bundles. So you don't need advanced technical knowledge, you can quickly get started. So visit them, compassmining.io. Start mining Bitcoin today. Michael and Nicholas, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So guys, I have been keen to get you on for some time, but we just couldn't make it happen for a little while. I know you guys have this awesome project going on. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves uh, and you know how you got into Bitcoin and all this stuff. You want to go first, Nicholas? Uh, you can start. Okay. So uh, this is Mike Peterson. Um, I've actually been fascinated the, by Bitcoin since um, the early days. I remember reading you know, accounts of it in this new digital currency that was created that wasn't controlled by any country or any state. And I was an economics major in school and I've always been kind of fascinated by why some countries are successful and you know, create wealth while others seem to just stagnate and the people are mired in poverty no matter how much aid comes in and how much government programs come in. And so to have somebody do something unique and have this currency that wasn't controlled by the government that grabbed my attention. And as Nicholas will tell you, I'm not a tech person. So it took me like six years to be able to actually like purchase any Bitcoin and and hold it uh, myself. But uh, (laughs) I was definitely fascinated from the early days. Yeah. And Nicholas, tell us about yourself. 
Yeah, hi, I'm Nicolas Berté. Um, so on my side, I come more from a tech background. So I went to the, I would say, blockchain space in 2017. After I start to understand the economic part, uh, I decided to move full time in the Bitcoin space uh, about two years ago. And now I'm working with Mike on the wallet that is deployed in El Salvador in El Zonte. Awesome. So yeah, let's hear a little bit about how this whole project got started. As I see, it's like trying to build this citadel by the sea and as as my regular listeners know i'm all about bitcoin citadel so i'm very happy to uh hear about it so let's hear it from you michael what what is this project yeah uh we've been living i've been living in el salvador for you know probably about seven years before we started this project and we were working on different economic development um, initiatives and kind of in a parallel path i was you know going deeper down the rabbit hole with bitcoin and more and more fascinated by it and an opportunity came up with um you know one of the the donors that wanted to support some of the economic and educational programs we were doing and he wanted to invest in them but he wanted to use Bitcoin and so he kind of put this challenge out to me of how can you use Bitcoin in real ways he didn't want it just kind of converted to the fiat and so you know I'd never really thought about actually integrating Bitcoin into that aspect of our life it was, you know it was kind of two separate things and so once I started thinking about it I got more and more excited and you know started telling my wife and she's like you're crazy that's that's never gonna work you're never gonna be able to start this economy from from scratch and but luckily the uh the the donor was more excited about it than my wife was at the time and so uh he <laughs> he gave it the go ahead yeah so we just started from scratch initially we were funding um kids in after school programs if they were participating in them if they were cleaning trash you know from the community or doing other service work we were paying them in bitcoin then we had to onboard the first store to accept bitcoin and you know from there it grew to to more um programs within the community and more businesses accepting and to this point now we have about um, uh, 40 businesses in El Zante, which is only a town of 30 of 3000. So it's a pretty small town, but there's 40 businesses accepting Bitcoin. And I think there's 80 to 100 in El Salvador now and probably have 500 families in the community where we're at using Bitcoin on a regular basis. And I'd say in El Salvador as a whole, you know, it's probably triple to, you know, five times that it's, it's kind of been growing exponentially much faster than I actually expected. Yeah. So your website mentions three phases of growth or stages. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. The, the initial stage was us, you know, obviously just trying to introduce it and just getting general usage. You know, this is people are creatures of habit. So just getting them to even consider that something else could be money. Um, that was actually the most difficult stage. We thought we would start with adults because we, you know, thought, well, for, for the younger people, this is going to be too challenging. Let's start with the the adults and you know then we'll work our way down and i should have known better just by the fact that i have to have my kids help me uh, you know set the the dvd player or get a movie playing or anything like that going that uh i was totally upside down in my thinking because the adults looked at us like you're crazy like what, what do you mean we're going to use this magic internet money and we can buy things with it and we have to hold our keys and um, it did not go over very well. And so we kind of, not even purposefully, but just at the time we had some programs going on with youth. And so we switched over and we started funding those and they grabbed it right away. I mean, they're used to using their phones for everything. To them, it just made sense. They do everything on their phone. So why not be able to transfer funds? And it, then it became this thing, like the other kids that didn't have it, they wanted to be a part of it because... You know, it was this, this, you know, just kind of cool thing to be a part of. And they would actually teach their parents how to. And so that was kind of like the first stage was just getting that initial adoption. 
and then the second stage was getting tourists and people to kind of come in and, and use it that are from outside the community. And so that's kind of the stage that we're in right now. And we're seeing a lot of adoption by the tourists. We're actually seeing a lot of tourists come in just because they want to be able to spend Bitcoin and be able to use it um, that are Bitcoiners. And then the, the final stage is for us to be able to kind of pull back from the funds that we're injecting and for there to be enough coming in from remittances primarily, but also people working in Bitcoin related companies. And we're already starting to see a lot of that happen. Strike is employing five, I think it's five people now in the community. And there's another company in Given who's hired a couple people people and there's a third company that's just started and so yeah that's kind of the final stage is to make it sustainable by us being kind of able to pull back we want to just be the ones that kind of get the ball rolling and prime the pump but for it to be real it has to be real we can't be subsidizing it long term and so that's what's exciting is we're actually seeing that traction and seeing it look like it'll be at the point where we can pull back over the next year that's interesting hey so what would it look like then if you were to pull back as in you think the community would be kind of more self-sustaining in terms of bitcoin inflowing uh, and people spending it around and trading around for various things yeah i think right now we're employing a lot of the people we have you know we have a decent sized team that are doing stuff in the community but our goal and what we've already been doing is for them to go off our payroll and not being paid by bitcoin by us but by being by being paid by private sector companies. And so we about two months ago, we had a big construction company come in and start paying all of their employees in Bitcoin. And so they're paying about 40 people in Bitcoin. You know, as I mentioned before, the other Bitcoin f- focused companies that are hiring local people from El Zante. So we want to see the majority of wages in El Zante being paid in Bitcoin. We want to see tourists coming in and spending Bitcoin. And then also we want to see Bitcoiners buying, you know, first homes or second homes or vacation homes in the region and having this become just kind of a major Bitcoin hub so that every time they're in, you know, visiting or if they're living there, they're going to be spending Bitcoin on a daily basis. And so the idea is, is once we pull back and we're not injecting Bitcoin into the community, it won't really matter because there'll be Bitcoin being infused in all these other ways. Cool, cool. And so, Nicholas, let's hear a little bit from you. Tell us how you got involved and what your part in all of this is. Yeah, so about a year ago, I wanted to start a project on Lightning and really about banking plus Lightning. Um, I was thinking about launching something in the US, but I see that um, it's actually pretty challenging in the US to use Lightning because of the regulatory and you know the tax burden and so I was thinking there might be other places, you know, on the world that are maybe more suitable to start like a, a Bitcoin banking project. And so I hear about uh, Mike about a year ago, but, you know, this Elzonte project. And I was like, wow, I think it's a huge opportunity to, you know, bootstrap something. And so I reach out and, you know, I say, hey, Mike, uh, you know, I'm working on Lightning. I, I see that you're using some wallet, but you have some challenges. So why don't we work together and we can start uh, start a you know a local community bank wallet and so this is what we have been working on since um, probably last summer so what we have done is we have launched um, the bitcoin beach wallet last uh, probably september around september last year this is a, a wallet that is maybe we can dive a little bit into it but it's a shared custody wallet so there is a, a lightning node but there is also a cold storage where the keys are shared among the members of the community and the wallet have grown quite a bit uh, 
know there is about a thousand people using the way daily, you know, mostly in Alzante, but, you know, across El Salvador generally, uh, about 5,000 users monthly. The, um, yeah, it's a, a very interesting uh, wallet and project. Like w- when you're there, you feel like you, you are actually discovering the future of what the future could be if people start using Lightning for everything, right? And it's it's very rewarding to, to, to work on this. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, probably the obvious question or point that for many listeners they'll be like well hang on are we all about not your keys not your coins non-custodial and so on but i think it's also a useful <laughs> point for you to spell out and also from my recent episode with jack Mallers, where we were talking about you've got to appreciate the wealth and income level uh of the people who may not be able to afford on-chain fees for channel opening and having the technical difficulties and dealing with all of that so do you want to just spell out some of that aspect how you were thinking about element of it yeah yeah so when you think about Lightning Wallet, right, you, you, you have different type of wallet. You, you can have your like LND node on your Raspberry Pi, you know, the most like self-sovereign way and maybe you will connect to it or Tor network uh, with your phone, right? If, if you want to have a little bit better UX and more usability, uh, you can use a wallet like Breeze or Phoenix or Moon, which are like you open a challenge on the fly and, you know, you can use a phone. You, you still have some trust assumption uh, with uh, the wallet you're using, uh, but it's a lot uh, easier to use. Maybe on the you know end of the spectrum, on the custody side, you can use like a wallet like wallet of Satoshi or Cash App or like something that you know they take full custody of your phone. Right, this is the spectrum that you have. And maybe you have a, a, another like one that would be the Uncle Jim model, where like you someone will host a Raspberry Pi and maybe have a, like LNG Hub. You know, you, you have a, a group of friends, you know sharing maybe one node. Right, this is a, the main different like type of wallet you could have. So here, I believe what we're doing is we're creating a new category of wallet, uh, something that maybe doesn't exist much today. The idea is that we creating, from the user perspective, it's it's a, a custody wallet in the sense that you, you open it and you can send money on chain and off chain and like, you know, it's a unified balance and basically you don't have to understand really the technical detail detail behind it. Uh, but the interesting aspect behind it is, um, so on the back end, right, we have uh, some fund that is on LNG to be able to transact on, on Lightning. But basically, what we want is to have most of the funds that are, that are in cold storage. It's a bit like, you know, most exchanges today, the large exchanges, you know, they will have their hot wallet where they will put the fund, you know, used to redeem and deposit. But um, they want to, all the exchanges want to have the mass majority of their fund in cold storage because if, you know, something were to happen, like, you know, the fund would be safe, uh, the fund in cold storage would be safe. And, and so, you know, we're thinking along this line, but uh, the idea of the cold storage is you can create like a, a multi-sig and here, because it's a very identified community, we, we can have different people in the community that have, you know, those signatures. So that you're moving a little bit the assumption about, you know, the trust because no, you're no longer necessarily trust a single entity, you know, to maintain the cold storage, but you're, you're actually putting trust in the community and we need to educate people how to do it and how to work with the multi-sig. But, but the, it's really reinforced this idea of a community wallet the fund belong to the community and not to a third party yeah gotcha maybe i can uh, expand a little bit of why i think this makes sense uh, in especially in a, in a place like uh, el zonte so mike tell me if i'm wrong but i believe the average salary is in el zonte is four to five hundred euro a month dollar a month right and so when you think like setting um so the on-chain fees you know like if, if, it, if you are like 
above 100 sats per byte, like, you know, it's, it's, it's already too much. But you could think, okay, you, you could have a, a lightning wallet. But the issue is, uh, like, the lightning wallet, like, uh, when, when you, you have to manage your own channel, even if it's like a, a Phoenix or Moon or Breeze, you still have to maintain at least one channel and, and probably like two or three channels per, per user, right? Uh, and so this costs, this is an on-chain transaction, you know, for opening and, and closing. And so it, it's at the economy of, like, 500 euro a month, um, and when you so the average transaction size we see today is like 20,000 sets, right? It's like 10 dollar. The average balance is is also about the same. It's you know a little bit more than 10 dollar. So like it, it's it doesn't really justify you know setting up like a, a lightning channel for for those users because the the amount being transacted are, are on the very low end. You know maybe today it will make sense with the current fee, but assuming the fee you know increase in the future, like you you will need at some point to be able to pool capital uh, if you want to have a billion user on on Bitcoin and Lightning, and and this is what we are doing. Yeah, and I think that's an important explanation because I think I've seen some discussion on Twitter where it's kind of been like, oh, why are you why are you promoting this custodial thing? But I I think genuinely at for certain people at that wealth or income level, it just there's no real alternative, right? Because if your income is five hundred dollars per month, let's say, or three hundred dollars per month, to pay let's say a five dollar or a ten dollar on chain fee for channels open and close every time. It's just not feasible. And I think the other way to think about it as well is if you are receiving a small amount on Lightning for the first time and you don't already have established channels, that first payment might get totally eaten up by on-chain fee. And so just the practicalities of this require that there are some users who are unfortunately custodial, but it's it's at least a community custodial as opposed to you know putting it out there. And I think the other point that's probably interesting as well is just that it's still an interoperable Lightning network. So the QR codes that are... Are being scanned are still scannable and payable by anyone in the Lightning Network. Um, so can you tell us a little bit what was going on at the start where people just using Wallet of Satoshi or Blue Wallet and now they're transitioning more to using this kind of what we, what we might call community custodial Bitcoin Beach Wallet? Yeah, so initially when the project started, we were doing all uh, on-chain transactions. At that time, the transaction costs were only about 25 cents. And so it was, you know, it, it still was a little bit of a ding if they were trying to do a $2 transaction. But, you know, if they were doing a $10 transaction, it wasn't the end of the world. Transaction costs kind of kept ramping up and we were seeing, you know, three, four, four dollar transaction cost. And so at that point, we knew we had to shift something or else it just was not going to be sustainable. And so initially we went to Wallet of Satoshi and mostly because, um, for, for the user base that we have the, and the people that we're working with, just the, the usability of it is super important. If it's too complicated, if it's too complex, um, they're just not going to use it. They'll just use cash. It's, it's easier. And people are creatures of habit and trying to get them to change their habits you have to kind of take small steps. And so, you know, we were happy overall with, with Wallet of Satoshi. There was some challenges when we, you know, when we needed support or we needed other things just because it, a lot of times we couldn't get back to the people right away. And so when we had the opportunity to work directly with wallet developers and to have specific features put in the wallet, we kind of jumped at that because a lot of times the people who are developing uh, Bitcoin wallets and who everybody says is going to be using Bitcoin longer term, you know, the people at the bottom of the economic rung, those are, they live in totally different worlds. And so what the developers think that 
you know, people need and what the people actually want are two different things. And so for us to have the opportunity to, you know, work directly with the wallet developers and have them listen to the things that we told them people were wanting. And then we actually drug uh, Nicholas and, and his wife and his, uh, his uh, infant child down to El Zante with us. And they spent uh, over a month there and just you know, watching how people were using things. And I think even for him, a lot of things, it was kind of surprising, like, oh, wow, I never thought people would have that problem or I never thought they would use it like this. And so I'm we're definitely big believers that that people should, as they progress, uh, hold their own keys, that they should hold their um, their funds and and preferably in a, a cold storage. Um, but we also believe that there's kind of baby steps to get there. And if we you know insist that everybody makes that jump right away, we'll you know, we'll eliminate probably 95% of the people in the world from ever embracing Bitcoin. And so we see right now, even for a lot of the stores, they're taking, you know, transactions into a custodial wallet, but once a week, they move that into their cold storage where they're holding the keys. And so it's it's not a one or the other. It's, hey, let's use these products together in the times they make the most sense, but always with the goal longer term for people to go non-custodial. Yeah. And I'm also curious, what were some misconceptions that you had before you actually hit the ground and saw people using it in the real world? What were some of the, you know, maybe even for you, Nicholas, as a you know developer and kind of thinking about wallets and stuff, what was what changed when you actually were there on the ground and seeing people use it in real life? I can get started. Um, a couple of examples. Initially, the unit of account was SATs because I was like, hey, we need SATs. And, and actually people want dollar. Like you, you should show how much SAT is it, but like people think in dollar, you know, they have, you know, they want to send five dollars, they don't want to send 20,000 SATs. And so, you know, the first thing like have, have dollar, you know, everywhere and maybe have the, you know, the subunit of account in like SATs because otherwise if, if they cannot send easily, you know, five dollars to someone uh, or know how much, you know, there is fee, how much. So it was one of the, yeah, I, I guess, first thing I, I learned is that like, even if as a developer, you start to think in sets and like actually people think in dollar. Uh, uh, this is one example. Another example is the network connection. You know, we, we take for granted here in the US or in Europe that you will have like a, a good internet connection all the time. And and here actually in Azonte, I, I, I saw that sometimes there was a lot of requests that were sent and basically the, uh, there was no response to it. And so from the wallet perspective, you have to, to change your assumption about like uh, if you send a request, like you, uh, you should withdraw automatically. And, uh, and it's something that I really had to be there to see the fact that the wallet was behaving differently if, if I were like, you know, at home on a reliable, you know, internet connection, or if I was in Elzante where the internet connection was a lot more spotty. Uh, and so it, it's led to like a change of the network library we are using, for instance, because of that. And it's probably something that you, you need to be in these places to understand this like subtlety about like, you know, in, in like a network connection. Yeah. Mike, anything from your side that you saw uh, that was different to what you thought uh, from, you know, when or, or was it more like you were just spending a lot of time there so you were already familiar with what the people needed? I think I was kind of pleasantly surprised at 
that the volatility wasn't as big of an issue as I thought it would be. You know, obviously when we have big drawdowns like we've seen in this last week, you have people that, you know, start to freak out a little bit, especially people that are fairly new to to using Bitcoin. But the people who we've been working with for a year, you know, they kind of just like, well, this is this is just Bitcoin. Like it ran up and so it's normal for it to have a decent sized pullback. And so they learn how to manage that volatility pretty well. Where I need to, I don't trade. I'm not a a trader. Uh, Usually I'm I'm disastrous as that. But if I ever did start trading, I would just watch them because they always seem to cash out like when it's uh, about to top. And uh, that's when they go to go to cash and then sure enough like a day later bitcoin crashes i'm like the heck how did they how did they know so they've uh they've become pretty adept at, at managing that and you know a lot of times if they have something that they need to pay next week and bitcoins run up they'll they'll put it in the dollars because they know they have to make a dollar payment but it it hasn't been this huge anxiety that i was anticipating so that that's been a pleasant surprise and it's I think like as Nicholas was saying, seeing though, even though they are using Bitcoin all the time, they still think in dollars. And so I think we're just creatures of habit. And so those things change slowly over time. I think it'll probably be five years before they start thinking in sats or pricing in sats. But I think that's okay. This is going to be a gradual change. And I think El Salvador and El Zante specifically are, are going to be way ahead of the curve in the world. And so they'll be thinking in sats long before people in California are. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about this whole idea of thinking in sats. And also in terms of learning from other people, I'm sure at the start, it it must have been way harder to get people to change from using physical cash over to using your phone wallet. But now it's probably more easy for them to just like ask their family or friends, oh, hey, how do you use this wallet thing? And then they can teach each other a lot more easily. Was that your experience that you saw? Yeah. I mean, initially we had to, you know, we'd go out and we'd have to like talk people into trying it. And, you know, you, you kind of harangue the people that owe you favors or that are family members. And so you get them on first. And so, you know, the early days, it was, it was a lot of us having to go out and push on people to, to start using it. Now it's the reverse. Like people come to them like, hey, how do I get into Bitcoin? How can I be able to use this? I see that you can, you know, send money to your family across the country or out of the country. So I I want to be able to use Bitcoin. And so it's it's actually made it a lot easier. You know, once that ball got started rolling, it takes very little effort on our part to keep it growing. And in fact, even if we wanted to stop the growth of Bitcoin in El Salvador, there's no way we could. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it has its own forward motion now. And so, you know, that's that's come actually much quicker than I anticipated. Yeah, that's cool. And so you also mentioned the hope is that more tourists come along and spend their sats there as well. And I know I've seen on Twitter that Jack Mallers came down from Strike, Miles Suter from Cash App, and then I saw Peter McCormack was also down in town. So can you tell us a little bit about what that experience is like for Bitcoiners who are thinking to come and visit? Yeah, that's um, COVID put a little bit of a damper on that. You know, a lot of people were a little bit restricted, but we've seen even in the last month as restrictions start to lift, uh, people just show up. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I'll just be sitting in a restaurant. So I'm going to be like, hey, are you the Bitcoin Beach guy? You know, I just came in from 
Guatemala or Jamaica or, you know, people are coming in from all over. And so, um, and I think we're just at the initial stages of that. It was just so fun to have uh, Peter and Jack and Miles and, and Nicholas was a, when he was there. And, you know, everybody just goes out to dinner together and you run into other people. And so I could see six months from now, you know, it being 10 times that. And our goal is that for, for people like yourself, for podcasters to come to Bitcoin Beach because they can do a bunch of different interviews with a bunch of different people in one location without having to go anywhere. And so we actually, as part of the uh, Bitcoin Training Center, we built a podcast studio in to that for that very thing and so <laughs> we think it'll be the the place especially you know in in northern winters from people from from canada or, or northern europe that want to escape the cold it'll be the place they go in december or january for people that want to get a little surf vacation in but also you know be hanging out with other bitcoiners for people that are into yoga and so uh, i think that it'll just become a natural place that that people go knowing that they'll be able to strike up conversations or have impromptu you know bitcoin meetup and we also have you know in the beginning stages of talking about hosting a conference in el zante and and not like a traditional conference where it's you know really focused on having you know 10 different uh, speaking engagements during the day, but something where you had one or two speaking engagements, but just opportunities for people to go and spend Bitcoin and enjoy the you know community. And so that's kind of what we're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm obviously still stuck in Prison Island, Australia, but when I can get out, I would love to come and visit. So just to whet the appetite for some listeners, what sort of things can they buy with Bitcoin when they're in town? I mean, pretty much anything you can buy. You can do your surf lessons in Bitcoin. You can pay for your hotel. You can pay for, you know, any of the restaurants. You can buy local like crafts in Bitcoin. You can pay for your transportation in Bitcoin. You can get pay for your massage in Bitcoin, uh, your trainer in Bitcoin, your yoga classes in Bitcoin, pretty much everything. If, if you use the wallet, there is a map on the wallet and you can see all the business accepting, uh, accepting Bitcoin and Lightning. Awesome. And uh, so in terms of, uh, I guess, getting to the country and getting to Azonte, what does that look like for people who are interested? Yeah, it's pretty easy. They just fly into the San Salvador airport. Alzante is like a 45 minute, maybe an hour drive from there. So if you hit me up on, on Twitter beforehand, I'll set you up with a driver that accepts Bitcoin uh, as payment. We have lots of people that come to Alzante for, you know, they're there for a couple days and three months later, they're still there. So uh, <laughs> people just need to be where if they plan on just dropping in they they might not want to leave back to the show in a moment now cyphersafe.io have got a new product it's called the cypher grid so we talk about backing up our seeds on metal well this is a new one it's got two stainless steel plates for all 24 seed words not just one plate of 12 words it has privacy by default as the two plates are facing each other to hide your seed words and the stainless steel hardware holds it together and you can lock this with a padlock and this is the best value in the industry you get everything you need for 59 dollars you even get an automatic center punch provided and a tamper evidence seal so the cypher safe products are made from stainless steel they're fireproof rust proof and waterproof so make sure you or your loved ones could access your bitcoins if an accident occurs go to cyphersafe.io and use the code lavera for a discount coinkite.com are the creators of my favorite bitcoin hardware wallet the cold card 
This is one of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. I think it is the best in the market. They've got all sorts of features. They are really staying ahead of the game in terms of security features, the ability to use this wallet in an air gaps fashion. So you can use a micro SD card to ferry things back and forth from the cold card to your computer and use wallets like Spectre or Sparrow or Electrum. This wallet offers great security. It's very versatile. You can use it in a single signature or in a multi-signature setup. So go to coinkite.com and use the code Lavera to get a discount on your cold card. Have you been sitting on a single signature setup and you're thinking about multi-signature? Well, Unchained Capital can help you. They are building Bitcoin native financial services on the foundation of multi-signature. So they have vaults where you can, for example, buy two hardware wallets and they will be the third key in a two of three setup. They also offer a concierge service. So if you want a hand, if you want them to ship you two hardware wallets and do calls with you to answer your questions and walk you through that process and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin, you can use this service and use the code Lavera to get a discount there. Unchained Capital also offer loans and advanced business accounts, as well as a range of content that will help you either for yourself or for your friends on your journey of learning about Bitcoin. If you go to unchained.com, you can find all the material you need. Back to the show. What's it been like in terms of education in the, in, in the, you know, in terms of people learning about Bitcoin and learning how to hold their own keys and do all these, you know, things that we talk about? What's that been like for you guys? That's been one of the, the funnest things. We've, um, we actually had a, a partnership with, uh, and I'm blanking on the, <laughs> the name of them right now, but um, there was, uh, it'll come to me. But anyways, there was a, a great nonprofit that, um, that was doing an educational um, yeah. seminar for, for all our people. And they did like a, I think it was like a series of 10 classes and they went deep. I mean, in the things that, I mean, I was learning all kinds of stuff in these classes and, and to see the, the people that are on our team, they were asking questions that a lot of times I didn't have the answer to. And so we've seen people really start to go deep and we found the key is for them to start holding Bitcoin and transacting in it. And then their curiosity, you know, gets the best of them and they dive down. If you try to focus too much on that up front, their eyes just kind of glaze over and, and they're like, oh, that just sounds too complicated. But a blockchain for humanity, that was the that was the organization. I got to make sure I get their name out because they've been so wonderful uh, helping us. But um, yeah, so they put on those uh, those organizational or those educational seminars for us. And so, so yeah, we're seeing people that are increasing in their knowledge. I think that was one thing that, that surprised Jack Mallers when he came down and he was, I think, just kind of shocked that like, whoa, these people know how to use Bitcoin. They like use it every day and they understand what's going on behind the scenes. And so I think that's going to lead to a lot of companies want to hire, wanting to hire locals from El Zante to, to work in their support units or their marketing units or any of those things. They, they live Bitcoin. It's not just something they talk about. Yeah, that's great to hear. So what about in terms of, you know, people, I guess, storing their stuff as well? Is it most people, are, I presume, are just using like a phone wallet, right? Like the Bitcoin Beach wallet. And then maybe once they want to start, like, let's say they are able to save up, then does that mean they start moving to like an on-chain cold storage wallet or like even a hardware wallet maybe? Or what's the kind of typical progression there? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of the typical pr progression. We've actually been the ones bringing down a lot of different um, hardware wallets, and so um, we we've brought down a number of ledgers and some treasures, and and lately we've been uh, at at uh, Nicholas's insistence, we've been bringing down cold cards. And so um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's uh, they're they're hard to, for them to buy anywhere else, and so right now we're kind of the main suppliers of those. But we're hoping that as the number of Bitcoin users grow, that the you know there'll be business businesses that kind of start meeting that market organically. Yeah, cool. And I think in some ways, there are lessons here that can be maybe applied into other places that might also try and do a similar kind of project and I guess take some of the lessons from this. Uh, and even another example might be trying to operate in a lightning native environment is really cool. And then what are the practical implications of making that work? As an example, you might need to periodically flush out some of your lightning balance and spend that into your on into your hardware wallet as an example. And so I guess that's something you might have to think about. How, how do you swap in and out? And I guess, Nicholas, you're thinking about that, how to, how to support that on a back end for them to be able to do that, things like that, right? Yeah. So the wallets accept both on-chain and Lightning. So we need to have a hot wallet that is both for layer one and layer two, plus there is a cold storage. And so, yeah, currently there is, you know, a threshold on the hot wallet, it goes to the cold storage. And, you know, if, if money needs to be withdrawn from the cold storage and they need to be like a, a coordinate action from uh, some people in the community to do that. Uh, and yeah, there is all the tool, you know, loop in, loop out that, you know, within the hot wallet, if you want to move money from on-chain to off-chain, we, we are using the tool from Lightning App to, to do it. Um, and it's, uh, I guess the challenge is like, assuming you want to have a large part in the cold storage, right? How 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 do you manage the liquidity? It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting aspect because some days there will be a lot of payments, some days there will be less payments. So we need to be fairly active, you know, managing the liquidity. But some of the goal, you know, working with uh, with Mike and the community is to try to develop the, the the software that basically automate most of it. So that one of the thing we have in mind is is that this wallet is a community wallet, right? But it, it will be very successful if like there is a lot of community around the world that you know duplicate this project and start their own wallet. And so the the wallet that we have been building is open source uh, we are open sourcing it this month and so we we want you know other people to use it and like ju just deploy their own wallet like around the world right and and especially in developing country uh, we think it makes a lot of sense uh, and so some other uh, we have four people that have reached out that want to do the same thing you know in, in other country uh, so far we have not been able to have the time you know to like create new wallet but as the wallet will be open source you know anyone can just jump on it and, and contribute and you know fork it and like deploy their own solution where, wherever they are and we are quite excited about this yeah i think too just the importance for people to see lightning being used in real way i mean we have thousands of people that are using lightning payments on a daily basis for for daily life and i hear from bitcoiners all the time that like why would people want to use you know, Bitcoin to buy their coffee or to their tortillas or these small purchases. That's stupid. What are you guys doing? And I just have to remind people, like, you're coming from a very privileged point of view. You have all these other banking tools. The majority of the world doesn't have these tools. And without Bitcoin, they won't for decades still. And so Bitcoin in, in months and can open up networks that would have taken decades otherwise. And so now all these people are able to use mobile payments, 
they're not locked out of, uh, you know, by banks that want certain documentation or income limits. And so I would just encourage Bitcoiners in general to, if you're not using Lightning, get out there and start exploring it because it's a lot more robust and substantial than people give it credit for. Yeah. And the other big story, as I mean, and you mentioned this at the start, is it's not just the tourism people coming and spending money. It's also remittance, right? So there might be someone from El Salvador who's working overseas and sending money home to their family as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that you know, from the locals perspective? Yeah. And in, in El Salvador, um, you know, remittances is just a huge part of life, unfortunately, because um, so many people have, have left El Salvador and because they feel like they can't provide for their families there. And so ultimately, we want that to change. We don't want them to be dependent on uh, remittances. We want the Bitcoin economy to grow there, that people are flocking to El Salvador because that's where the good jobs are. But we're also realistic that that's a little ways down the road. And so for now, we want to make sure that the remittances that are being sent into El Salvador are not being taxed by Western Union or MoneyGram or these other companies that that handle the remittances right now. If anybody's ever sent money with any of those companies, you know how the fees add up. You know, it, it sounds like, oh, it's only 5%, but then there's a $2 fee for this and there's a dollar fee to receive. And if you want a receipt, there's this fee. And so, you know, for a lot of them, especially for smaller transactions, they can pay 10, 20% of you know, what they're trying to send just in transaction fees. And so we think that Bitcoin is going to turn that on its head because how are they going to be able to compete with this network where people can send it virtually free when they're using Lightning and it goes straight to their phone. They don't have to go to anybody's office. They don't have to take the bus anywhere. They don't have to deal with any of the logistical issues. And so right now, Western Union and MoneyGram, those companies, they have a little bit of time just because people are creatures of habit. And so people tend to just do the same things that they know how to do, but it only takes one or two people in their circle to start using Bitcoin, using uh, Lightning payments, using uh, an app like Strike before they realize, wow, why am I doing this? Why am I driving down to the Western Union office when I can just directly from my phone send this to my mom? And so I think it's I mean, I think in a year you're going to see, you know, those companies really hurting. I definitely wouldn't want to be a uh, equity owner in uh, any companies that are focused on remittances. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, it seems from what I've seen as well, and from when I'm talking with Jack Mellers, it seems that Strike is doing really, really well in the country, becoming the number one app and things. What's that been like? You know, in terms of what you're seeing, are you seeing a lot of people sharing it around with their friends and family? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of people um, sharing Strike around, and it's. I mean, I think it was the number number one app uh, for, for at least a few weeks, which is crazy for, you know, it was up, it was beating TikTok and, you know, Facebook and all those things. So that was, that was fun to see. And it's, it's so great to see people interact between the, the Strike wallet and the Bitcoin Beach wallet or the, the other Lightning wallets that are out there. The fact that there's not some closed system like there is with, you know, a PayPal or Venmo or something like that. These, all these applications can work together. People can choose what works best for them. And it's just making it real to them there i think um in the, the us from the more developed world we we take all these things for granted it's like well it's we've already had this before that we could send money so you know this is kind of cool but i don't know if it makes a real difference for them it's revolutionary they've never been able to send peer-to-peer -peer before they've never been able to send directly for, you know across borders for virtually free and so it's it's fun being there and just seeing how excited they are and realizing man the the 
the U.S. and and Europe, they're going to get left behind because they're stuck in this kind of so-so system, and the rest of the world's going to embrace Bitcoin and you know be leaps ahead of them. Has there been a bit of a network effect around neighboring towns or areas, like people from the other like surrounding areas are coming into El Zonte? Is that something you've seen as well, or what's the experience been like there? Definitely. It's the, the Bitcoin usage has been kind of like spreading outward with El Zante as the epicenter. And we've and we've we've kind of been purposely trying to target those areas also, but we found that it's you know a hundred times easier to get stores to start accepting Bitcoin because they've already heard about it. They're already excited about it. They already want to be accepting Bitcoin. And so um, it's been been fun seeing the map within our um, the Bitcoin Beach wallet. Um, you can kind of watch within the map as these new stores and businesses pop up. And so I, I joke that it's more contagious than COVID. It's, you know, it's just kind of spreading across uh, El Salvador. You see these little red dots. Yeah. Super, super spread that lightning network everywhere. Super spreaders. So you have these uh, red dots popping up all across the map. And, um, you know, people we've never even talked to, people that, you know, I haven't even been to that part of the country. And now they're accepting, you know, lightning payments for, you know, car wash or, you know, their little pupuseria. And so, yeah. Uh, the cat's out of the bag, and uh, I, I don't think there's any stopping Bitcoin in El Salvador at this point. That's really cool to hear. And so one other question I wanted to ask is around the number go up factor. Now, people know number go up. It's not. I'm not necessarily saying this is what we should be out there promoting. I'm just saying this is the reality. A lot of people come to Bitcoin because of number go up. And then that also causes, as my friend uh, Alex Gladstein might say, freedom go up or numbers of people going up, right? Because all the numbers are indexed, if you will, right? Just the price is running up, but that means there's more mining hash rate. There's more developer attention. There's more basically everything. So how are you guys managing that aspect of this? Because Bitcoin, as we all know, can be extremely strong in its up and down swings. How do you deal with that part of it? So definitely we've seen that when when Bitcoin's on a run, there's more people that, you know, are clamoring that, that they want to, you know, get involved, that, you know, they want to, you know, they want to start accepting Bitcoin at their store. They want to know how they can buy more Bitcoin. They want to invest. And so we, we do try to walk that line. We don't want to create speculators. We, we don't want people that are going to you know, sell their family property and dump it to Bitcoin as it's like at a peak and then they're going to panic sell you know, when it drops 20% or 50% like we saw this, this last week. And so you know, we try to walk that line. We show them, hey, this is the history. This is, you know, Bitcoin has steadily progressed upwards, but it does have these big drawdowns. So you need to be prepared to ride those out. We encourage people to, you know, dollar cost average and to kind of make sure that their position size is appropriate for their their risk level but the reality is when when it's running you know that's when people want to get in you know once once it dumps and even if they sell they're usually still hooked then they realize ah, i shouldn't have sold and of course then they buy back in higher but um you know i i know i've done that uh, in my early days and i think most bitcoiners have so that's just part of the the learning curve so i we don't focus too much on price but definitely it, it is a driver i think it's was designed that way purposely, but it kind of it it you don't have to talk about price because everybody knows what it's doing. So we let we let the price speak for itself. Yeah, of course, and I, I don't mean necessarily talking about the price, but more dealing with you know teaching people when it can be so volatile. Right now, those of us who are longtime hardened Bitcoiners 
we don't care that much, right? Because we're, we're thinking about it in terms of sats. We want to accumulate sats. But for when we're teaching new people, you have to sort of walk them on that journey. And sometimes you've got to hold their hand a little bit because, they, you know, it's like when somebody's new to Bitcoin and you're teaching them, if there's a drop, you, you're getting messages from them all the time. Oh, what's this drop? Oh, what, what, uh, is it okay? Is, uh, you know, and they just, and whether you are in Australia or the USA or El Zonte, you're probably feeling that same human emotion that we all feel. Yeah, no, definitely. But I, I think that's part of the, that's part of the experience. And, and we give them that talk up front, but it, they don't really internalize it until they've woken up and checked their wallet and seen that, you know, their, their, what they had in there is dropped in dollar terms by 30%. You know, they, yeah. you kind of have to feel that moment to really understand it. And so then we remind them and they, when they panic call us, we remember what we talked about, that this is what Bitcoin does. And you said, oh yeah, that's no problem. You know, I'm, I, I'm prepared for that. Well, this is that time. And so, you know, you're talking about wanting to buy more, you know, who knows it could go down further, but this is a better time to buy than it was a week ago. So if you're going to buy more, this would be the time. And so, you know, we, we just kind of continue to walk with them in those circumstances and, and realize what they're feeling is, is human. We've felt it before. And so you, you kind of have empathy for them in that. Yeah, that's a funny thing. And I think it's uh, I think this is one of those things I've heard financial advisors talk about where they say people often overestimate their risk tolerance or their level of ability to go through a drawdown. And then and then you got Bitcoiners on this other way on the other end of the spectrum. Some people who've been through multiple 80% drawdowns and having to deal with that is brutal. But you know, we all learn, right? Definitely, definitely. It's uh I think it is good. I think I mean I actually like the drawdowns. I like it for our for our program, I like them to have those gut checks and for them to remember what they're in it for and, you know, that it it does allow all this freedom and actually transacting financially. It's not just number go up. And so I think that the periodic corrections are, are necessary to, you know, not just create a bunch of speculators that, you know, go out and I, I don't know, I don't think anybody in our community is yet, but, you know, if it just kept going up, they'd figure out how to leverage it and how to get into one of the these, you know, 100 to one uh, leverage positions. And so I, I like the drawdowns. It keeps people humble and keeps them like, okay, let's just slowly accumulate over time. Cool. So can you give us a, a feel for what's coming next uh, in the community and with the project? Nicholas, do you want to speak first about anything in the wallet that, that we've talked about as far as the community banking aspects or any of that? Or I don't know if you're ready to put, put that information public or not. But Yeah, sure. Uh, on the wallet side, what we want, one of the big features, I guess, that we want to add is a proof of reserve. So the idea is that, you know, if we want to have all this banking uh, project like all around the world and, you know, where there is maybe more trust assumptions and you know if you're self-custodying it i think proof of reserve is really something we uh, we want to add and so we are planning to do that to you know for later this year early next year so it's one of that's exciting i'm sure our friend nick carter will be very excited to hear about this idea proof of reserves can you tell us a little bit about what you're planning to do like how how to achieve that or what's the goal uh, so rather what's the method yeah so you know, what is proof of reserve? What it's like you have assets and you have liability and want to show that the assets that you have, which are, the, you know, your ETXO uh, match your liability and liability is like the money of the, uh, of the individual uh, user of the wallet, right? And so to actually prove the, that you have the UTXO is 
not very difficult because basically you, you have for each UTXO, you have a private key with it. And basically you can sign a message saying, Hey, like I, you know, I have the key for this UTXO. And so the asset side is, is somewhat more straightforward than the liability side. The liability side, you know, typically the way it could be done is uh, from the wallet, you would have maybe a, a section where you say, verify that my, you know, let's say I have 100,000 sats in my wallet. Um, you, you want to have a way to check that your 100,000 sats, you know, are counted in the total sum of liability. And basically, if, if many people do this check, you know, basically you can check that hey, all the liability have been accounted correctly, right? And there is a bit of statistical game about like people need to, to try to make sure that, you know, most of them or at least a significant portion of them, you know, their liability has been taken into account uh, into the, the match between assets and liability. Uh, and yeah, I, I think very few people have have worked on this today. Very few companies, but I think like this type of project makes a lot of sense because you know, if you want to have this like uh, shared custody wallet, you know, being pop up all around the world, you know, I, I think as you know, regulator will maybe have a look to this. Like if you can prove that this is a superior uh, type of uh, product compared to the existing beacon, uh, the existing banking system. Like, you know, you, you can easily get a, a lot of traction, I believe, and, and maybe not push back, right? So this is why I think it's a, it's a very important um, feature to add. I like the idea. And it, to me, it's another one of those bugbears I'm often talking about, which is, you know, full reserve banking versus fractional reserve. And obviously, this is a tool that helps people know that, hey, I'm using a full reserve tool if, if enough people use it, right? And in that scenario where maybe not everyone can be an on-chain user because of their income or wealth level uh, now, it sort of gives them a little bit more power back or a little bit more of a surety assurance back while still being interoperable with the rest of the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which is all out there. So I think that's really cool. I'm excited to um, see that. And I've seen, you know, some exchanges like CoinFloor um, have been big on that. They've been one of the early ones who've been big on that idea. Um, so I guess this is a way to help allow various projects around the world or communities around the world to have their own little community custodial wallet, uh, but also offer proof of reserves on that also so yeah that's cool uh, anything from your side michael a couple exciting things one we we have a kind of our bitcoin training center we call it hope house and we hold classes there bitcoin classes but also english classes computer classes all those sorts of things and we actually turn the upstairs level into a work share um, location because we had companies like strike coming in and wanting to employ people that were graduating from these programs and so that's that's always the, the hardest part of a development program is actually to bring real jobs in. And so we're seeing companies really interested in the, the people in the community and employing them just because they're so familiar with Bitcoin. And so we've actually already kind of maxed out that and we're starting to look at building an additional building to use as workspace for companies that want to, and you know, kind of employ remote workers than El Zante. And so that's both, you know, local workers, but also for, um, you know, for expats that want to live in El Zante and be able to have a shared workspace to be able to work in. And so we're um, hopefully going to break ground on that second uh, building in the next couple months. And then we we're, we still continue to push forward and are getting surveying done. Of We have a, a large track of land that we're looking to uh, basically build a Bitcoin community in. And so the idea is, is that this would be a place for Bitcoiners around 
around the world to have vacation homes or, or to move to El Salvador, El Sante permanently and to be in a community where they could pay all their expenses in Bitcoin and all their neighbors will be Bitcoiners. And so uh, I'm hoping by the end of uh, the year, we'll be able to have all the surveying worked out and uh, start releasing lots. But, you know, that's kind of a dream of mine to, to be able to have this be an enduring project. We need people that are going to continually be injecting Bitcoin into it. And these things, you have that network effect. These things build on themselves. And so you get enough you know, core group of Bitcoiners there, then all these other Bitcoiners are attracted to come in. And so we are uh, working on that and it'll be called uh, Citadel by the Sea. So uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's where we're going. I'm a big fan of the Citadel meme. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited to come down and visit sometime once uh, once I can get out of this prison island. Um, but uh, for listeners out there who want to find you online, where can they find you guys? For me, the best way is just uh, hit me up on Twitter at, at Bitcoin Beach. I, I try to respond to all my DMs. Sometimes I get a little buried, but um, but I love to, to hear from Bitcoiners and anybody looking to come to El Salvador and wanting to visit and needing help with logistics or recommendations, um, please hit me up. And for me, it's also Twitter, Nicolas Berte. And for the people that want to check out the code, it's on GitHub at Galloy Money. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, guys, for joining me today. Thanks. Love it. Thanks for having us. So what do you think of the Bitcoin Beach project? I'm certainly excited to go and try it once I'm able to get out of Prison Island, Australia. You can find the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 279. And make sure you share this episode with any of your friends who tell you that Bitcoin doesn't have people using it for payment. That's not true. We can show them that with this example. So that's it from me. I'll see you guys in the Citadels.